pretty simple definition um, of prayer. There we go. For many of us, we think of prayer as this high and mighty thing for super spiritual people. Uh, but as Bart Simpson can testify to in The Simpsons when he's praying for a snowstorm so there's no exam the next day, uh, prayer is a conversation with God. And ideally, it's a conversation with God that continues throughout the week, that it's not just something we do on a Sunday, it's not something you just do when you wake up particularly happy one morning, but it's something that is a conversation with God. And so we're going to talk about that specific sentence today. Uh, Next week, we've got lovely Sasha coming to talk about prayer and music, and then we've got a few other different topics that we're going to talk about as well along the way. But the first thing I want to point out is it's a conversation. So many of us, when we think about prayer, we think about asking God for things or telling God things. That's a one-way communication stream, right? We're looking up at someone and we're asking or telling. Prayer is two-way communication. It's a conversation. It's us hearing while God's speaking, us speaking while God's hearing, Him responding, us responding, just this constant back-and-forth conversation throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout our lives. It's an invitation to a relationship. And that's important because it focuses our attention on the fact that it's not about just um, one moment in time, but that God is inviting us to something better. So it's, it's not a listening, it's a listening and a speaking, not a telling and an asking. And so the question is, well, who is this God that we're talking to? Muslims pray, Buddhists pray, spiritual people on top of mountains pray. Who is the God that we are praying to? And I was trying to think about how you summarize this really simply, um, but I couldn't work that out. So we're just going to talk about different attributes of who God is and why that's important. And the first one is that God is present. He's present. And if Elias is going to chuck up Psalm 139, it's the classic uh, psalm for this. I'll read it. It says this, verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then here's this amazing question. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. I can't. And then he answers his own question. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, and the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And how is that all true? Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So the God that we're having a conversation with is a God who is present. And there are so many other examples of God being present. I just want to give you a few of them. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, the last words that Jesus utters to his disciples were what? Go and make disciples? No, they weren't the last phrase. He said, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's a promise. Or if you read throughout the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll see this one phrase said again and again and again, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It comes up in Hebrews again. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And it's probably emphasised most in the fact that God didn't just sit up there getting fanned, that he came down to earth and he came and took on a body and then he died and rose again and then his spirit now lives within us. So it's not just a, a fact somewhere in the ethos that God is with us, it's a reality that God's spirit lives within us in faith. And I think for most of us, one of the reasons why we don't pray or pray as much as we ought to is because we don't realise that God is with us. Always with us. All the time. Whether it's a Zoom meeting, a board meeting, whether it's pulling out the weeds, whether it's listening to music, whether it's having an argument with our spouse, whatever it is, God is always with us. All the time. So God who is present is the God that we're conversing with, speaking with, doing life with. Secondly, God is a creator, is the creator. The first phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it talks about in that psalm that we just read, God being the one who created us in our, in our mother's wombs. He knit us together, which is an interesting image. He knows the day is ordained for us. He knows everything about us. He knows why we were made, how we were made, the unique parts of us that we don't even realise. He knows everything about us. But he also knows everything about the world. He knows everything about the sun and the birds and the stars. He knows about all the wars and everyone's intentions in all of their hearts at the same time. And so I think for me, as I come to prayer and I think about God as a creator, I think about the reality that he knows how everything's supposed to work. And so I can come to him when something isn't. Because he grieves as I grieve. He mourns as I mourn when things aren't just the way they should be. God is also a loving father. A loving father. And there's so many verses about this, but you think about how Jesus prayed. He said, our father in heaven. And then a little while later in Luke 11, he then, he's making a, making a um, comparison between us as evil people who give good gifts to our kids and then as God, who is a good and loving Father. It's Luke 11. It says this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's a good father. He's a loving father. 
We have so many more examples of that in, in 1 John 4, which I'm just going to flick through things, so feel free to follow if you want. But in 1 John 4, verse 7, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You can read Romans 5.8, you can read Ephesians 5.2 where it talks about us being his loved kids. And then you can read Romans 8.35. And this is really helpful when you feel particularly flat What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we think about having a conversation with God, we're having a conversation with a God who is present, having a conversation with God who is the creator, who knows how things should work and grieves with us when they're not. We're praying to a God, we're having a conversation with a God who is love all the time, the whole time. And he shows it for us clearly in his son, sending him to planet Earth, then dying, then sending him away that he might come back again. God then is also a redeemer. And we see that in what I just said. But redemption is not just talking about our personal salvation. It's talking about the redemption of the world. It's talking about redemption of relationships, the relationship between us and God, the relationship between us and ourselves, the relationship between us and other people, and even the relationship between us and creation. He's redeeming all things. It talks about in Romans about the earth's groaning, waiting for the end of times, right? This world is not the way it should be. And yet here is a God who is redeeming things and inviting us to join him in that redemption. So we're conversing with a God who is present all the time, who is a loving father all the time, who is the creator and who is a redeemer. Another question that is worth reflecting on is who are we as we enter prayer? Most, if not all of us, understand everything I just said. But oftentimes the, the, the reason why we don't pray is because we don't feel adequate enough to pray. Well, if God's all present and all holy and all loving and all those things, I'm none of those things. I don't deserve to be in his presence. And we sung a lot of songs today about how we are loved children of the King. And if there's anything that we can do to enter prayer, we enter in that identity. I think it's important, though, to note that often we wear masks in society and in life. And we can't enter this relationship with a mask because He sees everything, He knows everything. 
knows our thoughts, he knows our hearts, he knows our desires, our true desires. He knows everything about us. As we enter this relationship, we are who we are in reality, in the warts and all of that. And there's a beauty to that because he is still present and loving and redeeming even the parts of us that we don't want to admit are there. Years ago, I heard this phrase that Jesus died for the real you, not the fake you. And it's a simple truth, but I think it's important to reflect on as we enter a a conversation with God, that he doesn't tell us to button up our shirts and look all pretty and get ourselves all together. He invites us just to be real, just to be who we are, whatever that looks like for us in whatever day. As you read the Psalms, you can see David yelling at God, angry. You can see him depressed. You can see him elated over the moon. You can see him in every possible, every possible emotion. You see these Psalmists. You see Jeremiah being so depressed, he just wishes he could get another gig. He's sick of being thrown into cisterns again. He's over it. You see Ezekiel lying sideways and like, what is even the point of this? People are just being real. That's okay. I have on occasion yelled in my office because things are just stupid. To God, I might add, not to other people. But he's inviting us to be real. Whatever that looks like for us. And I think often that is the scariest thing about prayer because he is inviting us to be real. He sees us as we are. The mess. The things that aren't perfect the things that we, we are trying to control for other people's benefit, but that we just kind of collapse. This series is about beginning or continuing a conversation with God. It's not specifically about just one moment in time. That one moment in prayer where everything just aligned. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with God. The one who is the creator, the one who is the sustainer, the one who is the redeemer, the one who knows everything and invites us into a relationship anyway. And so in this series we're going to talk about the ways that God wants to speak to us. We're very good at speaking to God. We know what we want to ask, we know what we want to tell him, and that's great, but it's a conversation between two people, us and God. And so we need to give God some air time too. And he does want to speak. And I've only personally heard the audible voice of God once in my entire life, and that is not what we're talking about. We're not saying that God's going to stand up and say to every single person, you need to change your life or whatever it is, right? Um, But God speaks in so many ways, and we're going to talk about that. Like next week, Sasha's going to talk about God speaking through music and the significance of that, and we're excited for that. But he also speaks in so many other ways. He speaks through his word, which is obvious. He speaks through his son, Jesus. He speaks through his creation. There's a reason why people hug trees, and it's not because... Well, it is because they're hippie, but it's also because God's creation speaks, right? 
It's why Jesus uses so many analogies about mustard seeds and birds and looking at the plants. Notice the wind, how it blows. It's like the Holy Spirit. It's using constant creation analogies to remind people the sand on the sea, all of these analogies that God's creation wants to speak. The question is, are we listening? Some of us have experienced God through dreams, which obviously have to be uh, discerned with all of the other things that I just mentioned, but he does speak through dreams. He speaks through circumstance. He speaks through others. He speaks through our conscience. And I don't mean listen to everything that goes through your head, but he speaks through those prevailing thoughts, those things that just never leave us. He speaks through those. I was chatting to Susan about this series the other day and she gave a great analogy and and it's an analogy of a a father and their child but it can be a mother and their child too or a friend and their nephew or whatever. But we want the relationship if we're the, the father or the mother or the niece or nephew or whatever it is. And we hope and we invite them to enter that relationship And yet so often they don't. Or they don't do the way that we expect or whatever else. Um, And I I feel like God is inviting each one of us into some sort of deeper relationship. And that's going to look different to all of us. For me, um, I've been on a journey for the last 18 months trying to work out what is going on in my life. Um, And there was a real sense this week of God saying, just return to how we used to relate to each other back 13, 14 years ago. And I thought, well, back there, okay, sure. Um, And all I did at that time, all he invited me to do was just to sit and prayer journal and read the Bible. So simple. And yet I'd forgotten it for 13 years, right? And that was my invitation. For you, it might be to sit and listen to a specific piece of music or it might be to go and sit out in creation or whatever it is. Um, But... There's an invitation, I think, to all of us to return to our first love and to cultivate this relationship, to cultivate it. In John 10, we see this story of a shepherd and a sheep. It says this, Very truly I tell you, oh, sorry. Yeah, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a robber and a thief. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. Notice that, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Again, we're not talking about an audible voice necessarily. They know him. They'll follow the shepherd. Anywhere. But they will never follow a stranger, verse 5. In fact, they will run away from them because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. Verse 7. Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture.
We read Psalm 23 at the start, that the Lord is my shepherd, and him I shall not want. It's a psalm of intimacy, it's a psalm of presence, it's a psalm of acknowledging that in the highs and lows and the mediums of life, that God is with us, that God is present, that God as the creator knows what we need, that sometimes he has to make us sit down in green pastures and suck it up and not get busy and just sit. And other times he is grabbing us and yanking us along through the valleys of the shadow of death because we need to walk through those, can't sit down. But he's present. He's present. Psalm 23, let me read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. Inference, I listen to his voice. I lack nothing if I follow him. Nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, assuming I'm still listening and following. He leads me beside still waters, again, assuming I'm still following. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, which many of us have been through or are going through right now, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Again, he's present. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a loving presence here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. There's redemption. My cup is overflowing. It's not just about me now, it's about other people. That my life is impacting others because you're overflowing things in my heart. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. What's the outcome? of this it's the goodness of God and his love following us all the days of our lives that's an incredible promise and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in a moment we're going to play a song but before that I just want you to think about heaven for a minute Emily and I watched the Barbie movie last night which, which had a lot of interesting things in there um but one of the things that came out of, for me, was a redeemable quality, I'm not suggesting you watch it, but um, there was talk about the way people were living life and the fact that life is short and the way that the world is going right now is not working. Right? And there was an invitation, granted it wasn't a gospel one, but there was an invitation to sit and reflect on that reality. Uh, is the world working the way it should? And I say all that because as we come to this, prayer is an invitation to be present with God in the midst of the reality of life. That life is not easy, that life is hard, that life is not how it is supposed to be, but there is something coming that is better. But it's better primarily because this is a reality then not just something that we notice, but will be in God's presence. Heaven is not, well, it could be table tennis tables and badminton and lots of great food, probably, but heaven is about a conversation with God forever. And so if you think about heaven for a second, we're worshipping God, we're claiming who He is constantly, we're constantly relating to our Heavenly Father. 
I don't know if you ever thought about that. But heaven is about relationship with God for eternity. And it's something that God is inviting us to now as well. That we can relate to the God who is the creator, the God who is present, the God who speaks, the God who is our loving father, the God who redeems.